In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who loves us so that we may love others. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, who do you love? It's the question that we started off this morning with, and it's a fairly easy question probably for most of us to answer. It's a question that we're able to say, okay, you know, I I kind of have a good grip on that. I have this notion of who the people are in my life, whom I love right now. But the moment that we switch that and we make it a future tense thing, the moment that we add in that word will, who will you love, it becomes well, maybe a little bit of a different question because, well, we're not really quite sure that we want to. Yeah, there's kind of this sense of like, well, who will I love? Well, do I have to? Uh, do, I, do I have to love anybody else? Do I have to um, consider anybody else in, in my life uh, as somebody that I would love? Now, certainly there's some of us who kind of have that yearning, who kind of have that sense of saying, okay, I, I do want someone to love. And, and that is kind of a big question for me, uh, that, that I do kind of fantasize about who that might be in my life. Who will I love? But for most of us, it's kind of like, well, I know who I love, and I probably don't have room for anybody else. And a part of the reason for that is that uh, we tend to think of love as a scarce commodity. It's uh, basics, uh, it's, it's economic basics, you know, it's supply and demand. It's this sense of, okay, well, I only have so much love to give, and so uh, if, if I add in somebody else, well, then I'm not going to have enough love for everybody else, and certainly not enough love for myself. And we think that way because, well, we're, we're brought up to think that things that are valuable are scarce. Things like gold and diamonds and money and all sorts of things that we think are valuable are usually things that are scarce. And so since we think that love is valuable, we think, okay, well, if love is valuable and things that are valuable are scarce, therefore love must be a scarce commodity. There must be only so much of it. And even though we know that that's probably not the case, we sort of operate in that way. And then there are these moments in our lives where we are forced to maybe think differently. Because somebody comes into our lives and we all of a sudden are hit with this reality that, okay, well, if if I bring them into my life and if I start to love them, then that actually doesn't diminish my love for other people. And so when Liz and I had Cricket come into our lives, our firstborn, there wasn't this notion of, okay, well, I've got so much love for me. I've got so much love for God. I've got so much love for Liz, and now this baby is coming in, so I guess I have to shave a little bit off of all of those and then reportion that to Cricket. That's not how that worked. It's not even how it worked with a second kid. It's not even how it worked with a third kid. Maybe the fourth, I don't know. But that's not how it works. And we recognize that when we bring somebody 
into our lives whom we love. But most of the time, we sort of operate in this way that we think that love is scarce. And that's the way that the people in our reading from Acts are operating with the Gentiles. The, this group of people that call themselves the circumcision party, those of the circumcision, they, they have this notion of who it is that God loves. And so their, their first notion of who it is that God loves is that God loves the nation of Israel. And, and that's written large all throughout the Old Testament. That God loves the children of Abraham. That God loves the people whom he has put into his promised land. And they say those are the people whom God loves. But then they find Christianity and they go, this is great. Because now we get to narrow that field a little bit more. Now God loves these people of the children of Abraham who so happen to believe in Jesus. Because to them, it's sort of a multiplication algorithm. That you have this sense then of, well, if God's love is a scarce, a finite thing, and it is distributed to a large group of people, and then you get that group a little bit narrower, the more narrow you can get that group, the more love must be poured out upon that group of people. And so if God loves all of Israel to the power of ten, then when it comes around to it's just the Israelites who believe in Jesus, a much more narrow group, well then he must love them according to the power of twenty. And that's kind of how they're envisioning this thing with what it means to be loved by God. Maybe even to a certain extent that's how Peter is seeing it. So Peter is seeing it as he is there meditating on who Jesus is and praying and waiting for something that God would tell him. And he gets this vision of a sheet that is let down. And in that sheet are all sorts of things that Peter is positive that God does not love. Reptiles and yucky looking birds and snakes and I guess those are reptiles and snails and lobsters and things that to Peter he goes that's uh, that's that's not quite what God loves. But God comes back at Peter and he says, "Do not call common that which I have made clean." Do not call common that which I have loved. And it's that question that then comes up for us. Who is it that God has made clean? Who is it that God has loved? And how are we to love those people? Because I think for us... We are just as guilty as the circumcision party sometimes. Because we think, okay, God has all of this love for me. God has all of this love for me. And, and, and then all of those other people, well, if, if I share God's love with them, well, then that's going to mean the diminishment of God's love in my life, maybe. I, I just want God to love me. I just want to know that God is all about me. 
which I think then gets addressed in this gospel reading, this gospel reading where Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, hey, you know how God is glorified in me. This gospel reading where he says that glorification then now is sort of transferred onto you as you love one another. Because God's love is not a scarce thing. God's love is a generous thing. And I don't mean generous in that sort of way that uh, probably the word liberal would be a better better use of the word there, but we've so convoluted that with politics. Generous and liberal don't necessarily mean the same thing. Liberal means to dump stuff out. Liberal means the expansiveness of things. That's what we're meaning a lot of times when we say generous, but we can't say liberal because, well, it means that. But generous, generous does imply dumping things out. Generous does imply giving of yourself, but it implies it in a way that brings about new life. That gen in the word generous is the same gen that you find in words like genesis, the beginning of life, as you find in the word generation, the beginning of a new prodigy. It's that generousness that God's love is like. God's love is a generous love instead of a scarce love. It's a love that isn't just meted out to a few different people, but rather it is a love that transfers from one to another to another to another and grows as it does so. And so when Jesus is sitting with his 12 disciples and he says, I command you to love one another, he's not only just commanding them to love one another as he has loved them, but he is actually giving them the means and giving us the means in which to expand his kingdom through love. Through loving one another. But that's difficult because people are different than us. Because people don't believe the same way that we do. Because people don't look the same way that we do. Because people eat things that are different than the things that we eat. Because people are different. And sometimes different people are difficult to love for us. So who is it in your life that you will love? Will it be somebody that you plan on loving because that wasn't the way that it was for Peter? Will it be somebody that looks like you because that wasn't it the way it was for Peter? Will it be somebody who eats the same things that you eat because that isn't the way that it was for Peter? But rather, you are loved so fully and so completely That God has not only loved you, but he has placed you in your vocation. He has placed you in the weird, ironic, strange places that you live, work, and play. 
He has placed you in places that you might as well say are Joppa. Places where he has said, you're going to be my beloved child in the place that you are, in your dorm room, in your house, in your apartment, in your place of work, in the place that you play. You are going to be my loved one there. And I'm going to set you in there, not with a mandate to go and to evangelize to everyone so that you can bring them across the finish line so that you look so cool, but rather so that you can love those people and love them well and love them beautifully and love them even when they sin. And love them even when they sin against you. And love them even when they eat different stuff. And love them even when they look different. And love them even when they say things that you're not quite sure what that's all about. And love them in all manner of different ways because that is the love with which you have been loved and it is the love with that which you are called to show in the strange Joppa-like places that you have been taken to. Because at the end of all of this, when Jesus returns in glory, there will be, according to our Revelation reading, a new sheet that is brought down, and it is going to be filled with all sorts of stuff that people never thought would be in there, of people that Christians never thought would be in there because they were loved so much that they got to see Jesus. And they were able to put their faith in him. May you go and love people like that this week. But you're not going to be able to do that until you recognize how deeply And persistently, you yourself are loved. So recognize how much you are loved. And then go and show that love. To whomever. Amen.